More of Bootstrappers is coming up. You can find out more at the website, anaquim.net. Explore what Bootstrappers can contribute to your success. That's anaquim.net. Welcome back to Bootstrappers. I am your host, Jeremy, president of Wistar Group. And uh, I am here with my spouse, Gwen Aspen. She's the president of Anaquim. We bootstrapped two of these companies and figured it would be one of our favorite things to do to be able to have discussions with other people around this campfire of entrepreneurs that is bootstrappers. Today, we're here discussing mostly sales with Brian, president of Data Shield, uh, also a, a, a local Omaha company. And so we kind of want to get into training and transitioning. So when you do make a decision to bring somebody on board to take on one of the most important roles, uh, as far as growth goes, sales, um, we've got to get them trained. And I think in my experience, training is often depreciated right out the gate. Uh, but what's your experience and, and, yeah. and how have you mitigated that to be able to get to some of your sales? Um, well, I, I would say that, you know, going from sales to sales management is the biggest gear shift you can experience because it, you're you're using a, a particular gear when you're in sales that you have a sense of urgency you're driving so what do you sacrifice when you are constantly um, pursuing under an urgent situation process right so you you're, you're not necessarily worried about the process you're more worried about the result which is great for a salesperson right yeah. and they're, they're going to reach out and grab other resources from the company to help make sure that process is good but they're the ones driving towards the results and 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 communicating with the organization here's what i need to, to make sure this client is taken care of and becomes a long-term customer now now they've shifted you've just take your best salesperson right mm-hmm. and you do what make them the manager promote they're now them, in right? charge like yeah because it, that just makes sense right it does that it is intuitively that that, that is what seems like it should Mm-hmm. Be the next the next logical step. Yes, is to promote your guy. Except they right. don't always. Except, yeah, you just took their boat out of the water and you threw it in sand. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and you say, okay, here's here's your oars. What's going on? Why why aren't you going? It's a whole different game. Um, because They're not now, at all related. Like right. to do what you do in sales successfully yeah. is the opposite. Of what you do to manage a sales team Absolutely. to success. Yes, I, I, it's a, a great degree. I mean, you can lead by example and get a long ways with that. So going out there and shadowing a team, and because you're the top salesperson, so people are like, "Oh, how do you do it?" And and but a lot of times, again, if you're really good at that, you're not focused on the process of how you got there, right? And also, there's a little bit of ego involved, right? So in the ego, kind of like, "Hey, you know what?" You kids can't catch up to me, right? You can, you can have all kinds of issues that happens when you take the boat out of the water and you throw it into the sand. So, um, so I, again, it, it's, it can be done, but just know that um, it's, 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 a, it's a lot more focused on process and, it's and very, procedures. It's very bad for a company when it goes badly. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you them. lose so much money. You lose all that... Uh, all that information and we made this mistake very recently um and the person was not nice as a manager because they wanted things done their way and they were very good as a lone wolf but as a supervisor they were just mean Mm -hmm. to the new people on the team 
and it was very it was a it ruined everything that I elevated the person if I just kept them in sales it yep. would have worked and so how how do you avoid that mistake what kind of personality do you need to be a sales manager do you take someone from the outside and bring them in because they're clearly designed to be a sales manager rather than promoting your best salesperson to manager without making your salespeople yeah like Pissed right. off like, for like, having yeah, because been... they, I mean, yeah, your sales team wants to see if you're going to manage me. I want to see the stripes on your arm that you've done it. You've been in the trenches. You understand what it's about, and and you make that happen. Um, I, I think that uh, I, there's there's no one size fits all, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, someone can say, "Listen, I have done this for so long," but you you need to give them time to make that transition where they they um, are taught. I mean, give some sales training courses on management, like how to build the process, really help help them reflect on what made you successful. Um, come to 10 things that you think are key, that were key to your success, and then ensure that you've wired everyone or provided everyone those same resources that, that report to you. So I, I think that's, I, I think there's just a lot of steps in there. That's just one example. So the steps for if you if you have somebody, let's say you have one salesperson, you want to bring on the second one, you want the first salesperson to manage the new person. You just have to really talk through with them what their day, how their day is going to be different, and if they are going to be happy in the new role, looking at the new uh, cadence that they'll be following, yeah. yeah, and make sure that they're being self-aware of what the new role is, because yeah. they may decide on their own that they're just not built for it. Yeah, and then secondarily, if they do want to take on that new challenge, make sure that you have good sales materials and a good sales process that they are coaching the person on doing, so that the team can grow at a quick clip. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, and and also remember, um, good salespeople have their own individual flavor. Right, and so, so it, it'll it, it, um, a sales manager that's been predominantly in sales, in sales management, will say, no, don't do this, do that. Okay, don't micromanage the process mm -hmm. because again, the art of relationships is individualistic. Mm, so that leads me point. to when you mentioned building a process before. When I was in supply chain logistics, uh, we were um, I was at I, I ISO. And that was to help make sure that you had processes and procedures and that when you changed them, it was uh, uh, systematized. But we, we specifically left sales out of it because of that art piece. So, and I've kind of always operated under that same um, uh, motive of not necessarily building a process for sales, but what, is, what does a sales process look like? It must have some flexibility, um, but. Like in your case, how do you yeah. how do you build a process like that and include what you just mentioned and the creative part? Yeah, I think I think that um, you know I'm I'm a big believer in taking time for retreats, and um, so if if your company is going to be going through this transition of either one hiring a salesperson for the first time or two promoting somebody from sales into a sales manager role, take time, take time to for everyone to be able to have input upon what are we aiming for, what are we uh, everyone believes that they needs to be included in that to make that successful. Because at the end of the day, you need everyone's buy-in to make a salesperson successful. Um, the other, the other main thing when hiring a salesperson or a sales manager, I always highly recommend you look at where you want to be financially three years from now. 
Because if you're hiring somebody based upon they need to produce this year and deliver results now, you could be in a, in a situation that's not a win. Um, mm. Maybe you didn't hire, because you, you could have hired someone with more experience, which cost you more. Mm. And then in three years, you got somebody who was there for 10 years and, and, and all three years, three through seven. So a lot of times, um, a lot of times people just uh, jump into making that decision too quickly and and say, oh, you know what? We need $100,000 new sales a year. I'm going to hire someone for 60000 So I make $40,000. Well, yeah. what happens? They spent $60,000 and, and didn't get the sales, and then they went and spent another 60000 because, like, oh, I figured it out this time. So now they spent 120000 and and still haven't figured it out and probably on their way to 180,000. So you, if you begin to do the math that way versus if, listen, if I hire someone for $120,000 a year and I wanna gain $100,000 a year, well, at the end of 10 years, I have $1.2 million, right? Um, and then depending upon your business model, may it's recurring revenue, well, that begins to multiply quickly over mm -hmm. that period of time. So so I really, I always try to make sure that I've done some good financial mm -hmm. models, and then I share that with a salesperson. Saying, mm -hmm. this, is, this is the reason what we're gonna make the investment in you because we're aiming for this. And then include that into the retreat discussions and then making sure everyone has the buy-in. So this when is you're... Bootstrappers. Oh, Sorry ahead. about that, honey. Go ahead. Uh, this is Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is Gwen. This is Brian. And we're having a discussion, uh, by and large, about sales. And so I was just going to ask you, when you're managing salespeople, do you mostly manage the pipeline and not the individual nuances of how they make the sale or make the relationship? So do you manage, like, how many cold calls have you made this week uh, how, and how many... Uh, meetings did you have and then how many things are selling do you manage the pipeline like that uh well so i came i started my uh, before entrepreneur um route um i started as a salesperson for mci communications out of college oh yeah so, so they were all about training you how to sell long distance i sold it door to door in small communities oh, wow. i mean i wow. yeah yeah, talking about um, that was yeah. an education. It was pure technology, then. pure commission. So there was no looking back. So it was kind of like my first taste of entrepreneurism. Yeah, yeah, there was no thing. safety net. Commission. I was on the wire with no, 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 uh, uh, nothing to fall towards. It's if kind I of becoming off. a theme with our guests. There's a disproportionate number of the, our guests that uh, started off with 100% commission jobs. Yeah. Oh, I, I, well, 100%. If you want to hire a great salesperson, they've had to do straight commission. Mm -hmm. If they've if they've operated with a safety net, they're wired differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. I mean, because if you have to go, if you say go build that snowman, and they're like, hmm, you know what, I can, uh, doesn't matter, I'll get a starter kit here, whatever. I mean, um, they got to be able to um, stick it out um, and and really stick through it. So, so straight commission is a great great indicator of whether or not somebody is going to be a great salesperson. Not necessarily the best way to pay them if we're going off what you said earlier, but the best, but a very good um, indicator of what the future holds for you in terms of having yeah. the right salesperson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have somebody walks in the door and says, "Listen, I um, ideally if they say I want your straight commission job, don't give me a base. I want to be if you win, I want to win with you, and so we're both unaligned." That's the best partnership you can have in terms of that will almost always win out in the end because both both parties, the owner and the uh, salesperson, are aligned. So you can be success oriented and money oriented. 
But you have to at least be success oriented. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, out of success, you'll have the money. Right. And then you'll find the fact is that you end up selling or growing your business not for money. You're doing it just because, well, what else am I going to do? <laughs> so I want to go back to the pipeline, though. So when you were working at MCI, were they obsessed with the Oh, yes. I'm my apology. I didn't, I didn't get finished no, no. that. So, yes, we, we were supposed to make 24 calls a day, six presentations, led to two sales. And I'm like, that's too much freaking work. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I, I, I went to a local town. I would sit down and build a pipeline like this. I'd read the local newspaper, and then I would ask someone for a referral, and I would make sure I knew something like the Johnson's Barn burned down last week. So I had a topic, right? So uh, out and you're of doing that, this at a coffee shop. I'm doing a coffee shop. I just pull into some small town in Iowa, whatever. Never been in that town in my life. And then I would go to the chamber and or the business development or uh, whatever they the the uh, called um, the JC group or whatever, and um, connect with someone there. Spend a lot of time getting to know them because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And then I would drop the fact that I've done some research on the town. I understand this, 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 this is what I heard. And then conversations that, you know, and then at some point they're wondering, what are you here for? (laughs) Right? So what I am doing is building the credibility and the relationship in a way that I can easily um, earn their trust to give me referrals to send me to, to success. So my model was six presentations a day, six calls, six presentations, and five sales. Wow, that's, so, and, and that's it impressive. It worked, I mean, I was the top salesman in the country if I was to my own horn here. Well, and, yeah, uh, I do. Uh, um, in two months. Wow, and you so just, what, by what? not listening to them, by not listening to what they told well, you that's to what do. I was But that's the reason why I, I tend to believe that the art of sales is really individualistic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's, well, you're from it's a small own. town. I mean, is that how you took the insight uh, for that position of working in a small town? And just be like, I, someone yeah, comes knocking your on your customer. door. You're like, what the hell are you doing here? Usually, like on the farm, when we were coming up to my grandparents, if you were going to be there, you just walked in. You did. Mm-hmm. There, if you were knocking, then you were a stranger yeah, or you were right, a hunter right. looking for yeah, land yeah. to hunt on, something like that. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. In your case, yeah, how yeah. did you come up with that? Well, uh, um, what... what the model, that model of well, sitting in a coffee shop. Probably because I was lazy. I didn't want to work that hard. <laughs> That's another thing everyone has in common. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it. it uh, I think that's it, is, is uh, focus on the relationships. Mm-hmm. Do it, um, what's a win for the person, and you'll never lose. I love it so much. All right. Up next, I've got to ask Brian, um, in my experience with sales is that there's usually some awkward dynamic with operations. And maybe we can get a little Mm. bit of insight into how that um, can be avoided. That's next. Do you suffer from cold sweats, pervasive eye rolling, spontaneous cursing, or sleepless nights from managing your rental properties? Have your weekends seem to simply vanish? You may be suffering from rentatitis. Other symptoms of rentatitis include incessant worry about losing your livelihood due to disparate impact or fair housing. If you suffer from these or countless other symptoms related to your rental properties, Wistar Group can help. Wistar Group's trained professionals, use of cutting edge technology, and knowledge of the industry can make your rental properties a passive investment, not a job. If rentatitis is ruining your life, visit wistargroup.com today and set up a free consultation. 
With Wistar Group, all your rentatitis symptoms can simply disappear. Howdy doody. Back. This, uh, welcome back to uh, Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen. I'm president of Wistar Group in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, I'm here with my spouse, Gwen Aspen, and she's president of Anaquim. <clears throat> Bootstrappers is the way I like to look at it, a kind of a campfire for entrepreneurs. Just sit around, listen to some stories about people that have already been in situations that you in, uh, in, in definitely um, are find yourself in or that you will find yourself in before long. We'll grease the wheels a little bit for you and try to make your experience in owning a business, running a business, or getting into business better. We're joined here today with Brian Goebbels uh, and uh, sales extraordinaire, I think uh, both as a salesman but also as a manager, <clears throat> uh, who's a founder and owner right now of DataShield, an information management firm providing compliance consulting, document shredding, and electronic disposal. Um, are you the biggest in town? Is that safe to say? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. I think we're like top twenty independent firms in the United States now. So when you're what, really twenty five, top twenty five in the United States, <clears throat> independent firms. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so you now after you're listening to this show, matter of fact, if you're driving down Dodge Street or you're driving down the street, you'll probably see a Data Shield truck. You know that's how it happens. You have a Volt, you you buy a Volkswagen, and then everybody's <laughs> right, got a Volkswagen. Right. So now you'll see see the Data Shield trucks out there running around. Um, so he's also known here uh, uh, for, um, again, in our circle of being a relationship building kind of guy. And uh, so today we had him on here to talk specifics about sales. And so thanks again for coming in. You bet. And we're just talking more about when a small business knows it's time to get a BDM. And we had just mentioned in the last segment that you've sold to other companies. So of course, when you're selling a company to get the most money for it, it can't be all about the owner. You have to have a competent sales process and salespeople that are driving mm -hmm. the business yeah. so the company is sellable. So, uh, so to that point, how do you get your first salesperson so you can make your company sellable? Sure, it, it, uh, it, but there's a, a variety of ingredients that go into that. And I think the, the number one thing that, that business owners, I've been down this path, um, fellow entrepreneurs have been down this path, is that you, you, you've you got to a certain level, you can't keep up with all the sales you have out there, so you go hire someone, you tell them about, you tell them about what the product is, and they're fired up, they seem excited, and then you're like, hey, you can go out there and go do it, and I'll, you, know, you can shadow me for a couple, and then you're on your own. And you, the, the, the word assumption comes in there really quickly, like, you just assume that they one have the grit that we were talking about earlier in terms of to see something through when the the snowball begins to fall apart, and uh, um, and that it's a little more difficult. I mean, the business owner when you <clears throat> when you're looking to either succeed or oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about what happens if I don't succeed at this because I've got investment into it, time investment, explanation to my wife why <laughs> why I wasted the last three <laughs> years. And uh, so so you want to become successful and um, um, but they do they necessarily have that grit? Do they have that that uh, stickiness to to your product, to your service? And um, so uh, my my experience is one is to to share with people, don't make that assumption. 
that um, they have grit that they have the grit for your products not that they don't have grit but they may not be as passionate most likely they don't have the vision and and the and the passion you do and and Again, at the end of the day, people end up buying from experts they like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what, at the end of the day, I mean, that's what we're looking for is we're looking for somebody who knows their business, knows their industry, and and also becomes an expert on their business quickly. So asking the right questions and then be able to troubleshoot, right? Because you know, if I go out there and just talk about the new product that I'm selling and that's all I talk about. Okay, do I fall into that likable category? Yeah, maybe <laughs> right? not. And then an expert is one that's not just an expert on telling you everything in the back of the, the label, but asking the questions that are coming from um, the customer. So someone who asks the right, right questions. So uh, some amount of creativity. To yeah. be able to adjust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that Which takes time. So I, I feel like when you talk about this grit thing, it's because you hired salespeople that didn't have it. That was my. <laughs> huh. I'm like, um, so no, there's I, a I story mean, behind this. Listen, I, I um um, you know, yeah, everybody has a different level of grit, but it that's just one category of it. I mean, you can have the grit, as I mentioned. But if you don't have the the knowledge and the experience yet, I mean, it's the two together that are going to begin to to drive. And then someone who who really kind of carries their own bag. I mean, you know, figures out where they're going. They got a vision for themselves. I mean, they they you have to understand that the the snowman that they want to build in the backyard as well as the one you're trying to build, and make sure that's a jointly shared vision. Because if you haven't taken time to share that vision, you can end up with a uh, snowman that. Looks like a pile of, <laughs> or you don't get done with so, it. Just from the backyard. <laughs> so, how do you, in the interview process, make sure you're finding those things, or, or is it? Do you see yeah. the biggest problem? I guess we should start start with that. Yeah. What are you looking for in a salesperson, and how do you register whether they have grit or not, and they're able to be passionate about your product, and if they're likable? Well, I, um, there's a few things I would put in there to to run a screen. That that you put people through to make sure that they they fit for you. One is uh, um, to know you know we all need to know thyself, right? So how are they wired? I mean, there's lots of different cultural tools. You know, uh, you guys cultural index, culture index. Okay. Um, I mean, those tools are invaluable. And so, just for our listeners, the cultural index is, I think, a more modern version of the personality test that, that when Myers I was coming Briggs. up was Myers-Briggs. So, or the yep. DISC is another yeah, one. DISC is another sure. one. And, Gallup uh, Strength Finders. Yeah, you know, and you've so. all done a lot of them, yeah. and they, they are insightful. But anyway, yeah. just So are you looking up. for someone who's self-motivated in that, those personality profiles, like uh, has that killer instinct? Well, and it comes down to the product, right? Um, it comes down to the service. So if you have a longer sales cycle, yes, you're going to have to have someone who has tenacity to be able to see things through. If you have a short sales cycle, that someone that doesn't have to do much research, they just have to perform well when someone calls them, now it's a different type of profile. So really understanding, so build a profile like, you know, do they need to be extroverted or introverted? Do they need to know a lot of product knowledge? Do they have to um, think on their feet? Um, and, 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 um, and, are they wired for a long-term sales cycle? This is Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is my spouse, Gwen, and we're here with Brian from DataShield. Um, I want to segue into the archetype. So is there a certain archetype, a, certain, a certain personality a certain type. personality type that you found has been more successful? And then I've got a follow-up with that, which I'll just throw in here now. Um, I suppose it depends on whether it's a hard sell or a soft sell, but 
motivated by money, like the structure of the compensation. <laughs> I kind of yeah. want to know like what your yeah. experience has been. And sure. Well, you know, I, I, I always share this saying, so I'll say it here, is that there's success-motivated people and there's money-motivated people. One of them has money. <laughs> Follow me ah, on that? I got right? it. So um, if you hire somebody who's just strictly money-motivated, that can get you, um, that might get you what you want. For the short term, I have found the fact that if you're looking for a sustainable process, you need to have somebody who's motivated for something deeper than just making money because they'll be looking over the fence to make money, more money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then let's go into what success is. You know, success is the fact is that are your clients better by using your product? Are your production team, um, are, are they able to meet the standards that was set by the salesperson, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big piece of it. So I really put a lot of focus on, as opposed to sales, I make a product that sells itself and then use my customers as testimonials that they become the sales force. So you can get, so if you focus on that, you can really save a lot of money on initial before you hire a salesperson. So you're asking these people in the interview process, you're trying to figure out how much they care about customer satisfaction. Yeah. And what is internally motivated that motivating to them? Is it personal growth? Is it uh, professional development? I mean, is it, what is it that personally drives them? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would, yes. And, and um, I look at every person we hire as of Jeremy Aspen incorporated, you know, I'm, I'm doing a transaction with DataShield Corporation and, and Jeremy Aspen Incorporated. And um, your equity in terms of that transaction is really the relationships that you've already established, you've built. You've built some credibility, the network of influence. Um, um, you know, it's a combination of those two things becomes a multiple that, that your equity is worth something to our company. So we mer- merge together. So if you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, I think that uh, you know you begin to really um, understand the the real value of you can long term of both organizations together. So, so, Gwen, you'll remember this because you're smart enough to have known that this guy was a, was a great catch. Um, <laughs> this guy <laughs> being you. Are you talking about me? Or yeah, no, <laughs> me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Are we? <laughs> Just, um, What's that book or what was it where the theory where you take your advertising dollars and put it back into your clients as opposed to putting it into advertising dollars? Do you remember? Uh, never lose a customer never, again. Never lose a customer again. By That's Joey, kind of I can't idea. remember. Who's... Um, anyway, that, that was bothering me. Uh, yeah. And the concept there is instead of spending money on an advertising campaign, you actually spend money on your clients. Taking right? care of your clients. So, yes. yeah. so once you have a client, yeah. you just you do all these nice things for them, including find personalized gifts for them. So let's say their daughter gets into Arizona State, you buy him an Arizona State hat. Mm-hmm. So personalizing the presents, yep. writing handwritten thank you notes, connecting on with them in a personal way, and then that person becomes your biggest asset and they will drive your business forward more than any kind of marketing campaign that you could ever do on the internet is the concept of the book where you're going with that and and you they become friends like you legitimately like people that you have good uh, emotional for lack of a better term um, experiences and so you need to find a salesperson who is able to 
create relationships of value. Yes. And so, yeah. long-term relationships. And so asking questions in the interview process about how they uh, connect with clients and seeing if they give examples of that long-term approach would be important for you to hire the right individual. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. I mean, um, I, I would never um, hire someone that was only committed to the short term and getting mm -hmm. their commission check. The real value is, are they out there um, in the business to make sure that that first service or that, that service later, if there's an issue, to make sure it goes right? And if they are committed to the customer at that level, I mean, it's exponential of what their value is to your company because, come back to your point, never lose a customer. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's that. I think that's one of the key things. I mean, yes, you'll lose a customer occasionally because maybe they had a friend get into the business or that type of thing. But under have, making sure somebody's wired towards never losing a customer and and valuing those relationships more than their paycheck and, and maybe more than the actual closing, which actually is yeah. true because those are different. You can be a great closer but lose all your clients. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. All right. So when we come back, we are going to talk to Brian a little bit more about sales, get to learn a little bit more about all the dumb things he's done. I'm just kidding, Brian. No. I'm, I'm, uh, oh, we'll, we don't have that uh, show today. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, up now, that'll be next. Welcome back to Bootstrappers. I am your host, Jeremy, president of Wistar Group. And uh, I am here with my spouse, Gwen Aspen. She's the president of Anaquim. We bootstrapped two of these companies and figured it would be one of our favorite things to do to be able to have discussions with other people around this campfire of entrepreneurs that is bootstrappers. Today, we're here discussing mostly sales with Brian, president of DataShield, uh, also a, a, a local Omaha company. And so we kind of want to get into training and transitioning. So when you do make a decision to bring somebody on board to take on one of the most important roles uh, as far as growth goes, sales, um, we've got to get them trained. And I think, in my experience, training is often depreciated right out the gate. Uh, but what's your experience and, and, yeah. and how have you mitigated that to be able to get to some of your sales? Um, well, I, I would say that, you know, going from sales to sales management is the biggest gear shift you can experience because it, you're you're using a, a particular gear when you're in sales that you have a sense of urgency you're driving so what do you sacrifice when you are constantly um, pursuing under an urgent situation process right so you you're, you're not necessarily worried about the process you're more worried about the result which is great for a salesperson, right? Yeah. And they're, they're gonna reach out and grab other resources from the company to help make sure that process is good. But they're the ones driving towards the results and, and, and communicating with the organization, here's what I need to, to make sure this client is taken care of and becomes a long-term customer. Now, now they've shifted, you've just taken your best salesperson. Right. Mm -hmm. And you do what? Make them the manager. Promote They're now them, in right? charge. Like, yeah, because it, it just makes sense, right? It does. That it is intuitively that is, that that is what seems like it should mm -hmm. be the next the next logical step. Yes. Is to promote your guy. Except they right. don't always. Except. Work. Yeah, you just took their boat out of the water and you threw it in sand. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> and and you say, okay, here's here's your orders. What's going on? Why why aren't you going? It's a whole different game. Um, because They're not now, at all related. Like right. to do what you do in sales successfully yeah. is the opposite of what you do to manage a sales team Absolutely. to success. Yes, I, I, it's a, a great degree. I mean, you can lead by example and get a long ways with that. So going out there and shadowing a team, and because you're the top salesperson, so people are like, "Oh, how do you do it?" And the, and but. A lot of times, again, if you're really good at that, you're not focused on the process of how you got there, right? And also, there's a little bit of ego involved, right? So, in the ego, kind of like, hey, you know what? You kids can't catch up to me, right? You could, you could have all kinds of issues that happens when you take the boat out of the water and you throw it into the sand. So, um, so again, it's it can be done, but just know that... Um, it's 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 a, it's a lot more focused on process and it's and very procedures. it's very bad for a company when it goes badly. So yeah, yeah I, I, I mean you them. lose so much money, you lose all that uh, all that information. And we made this mistake very recently, um, and the person was not nice as a manager because they wanted things done their way and they were very good as a lone wolf but as a supervisor they were just mean Mm -hmm. to the new people on the team and it was very it was a it ruined everything that i elevated the person if i just kept them in sales it would have worked and so how how do you avoid that mistake what kind of personality do you need to be a sales manager do you take someone from the outside and bring them in because they're clearly designed to be a sales manager rather than promoting your best salesperson to manager. Without making your salespeople, yeah, like pissed right. piss off like, for like, having yeah, because been. They, I mean, yeah, your sales team wants to see if you're going to manage me. I want to see the stripes on your arm that you've done it. You've been in the trenches. You understand what it's about, and and you make that happen. Um, I, I think that. Uh, I, there's there's no one size fits all in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone can say, "Listen, I have done this for so long," but you you need to give them time to make that transition where they they um, are taught. I mean, give some sales training courses on management, like how to build the process. Really help help them reflect on what made you successful. Um, come to ten things that you think are key that were key to your success, and then ensure that you've wired everyone or provided everyone those same resources. Sources that, that report to you. So I, I think that's, I, I think there's just a lot of steps in there. That's just one example. So the steps for if you, if you have somebody, let's say you have one salesperson, you want to bring on the second one, you want the first salesperson to manage the new person, you just have to really talk through with them what their day, how their day is going to be different, and if they are going to be happy in the new role looking at the new. Uh, cadence that they'll be following and make sure that they're being self-aware of what the new role is because they may decide on their own that they're just not built for it. And then secondarily, if they do want to take on that new challenge, make sure that you have good sales materials and a good sales process that they are coaching the person on doing so that the team can grow at a quick clip. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And and also remember, um, good salespeople have their own individual flavor. Right, and so, so it, it'll it, it, um, a sales manager that's been predominantly in sales, in sales management, will say, no, don't do this, do that. Okay, don't micromanage the process mm-hmm. because again, the art of relationships is individualistic. Mm, so that leads me point. to when you mentioned building a process before. When I was in supply chain logistics, uh, we were um, 
I was at I, I ISO, and that was to help make sure that you had processes and procedures, and that when you changed them, it was uh, uh, systematized. But we we specifically left sales out of it because of that art piece. So, and I've kind of always operated under that same. Um, uh, motive of not necessarily building a process for sales, but what is what does a sales process look like? It must have some flexibility, um, but like in your case, how do you yeah. how do you build a process like that and include what you just mentioned and the creative part? Yeah, I think I think that um, you know I'm I'm a big believer in taking time for retreats, and um, so if mm-hmm. if your company is going to be going through this transition of either one hiring a salesperson for the first time or two promoting somebody from sales into a sales manager role, take time, take time to for everyone to be able to have input upon what are we aiming for, what do we uh, everyone believes that they needs to be included in that to make that successful because at the end of the day you need everyone's buy-in to make a salesperson successful. Um, the other. The other main thing when hiring a salesperson or a sales manager, I always highly recommend you look at where you want to be financially three years from now. Because if you're hiring somebody based upon they need to produce this year and deliver results now, you could be in a, in a situation that's not a win. Um, mm. Maybe you didn't hire, because you, you could have hired someone with more experience, which cost you more. And then in three years, you got somebody who is there for 10 years and, and, and all three years, three through seven. So a lot of times, um, a lot of times people just uh, jump into making that decision too quickly and and say, oh, you know what? We need $100,000 new sales a year. I'm going to hire someone for 60000 So I make $40,000. Well. Yeah. What happens? They spent sixty thousand and and didn't get the sales, and then they went and spent another sixty thousand because they oh I figured it out this time. So now they spent one hundred twenty thousand and and still haven't figured it out, and probably on their way to one hundred eighty thousand. So you if you begin to do the math that way, versus if listen if I hire someone for one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and I want to gain a hundred thousand dollars a year, well at the end of ten years I have one point two million dollars, right? Um, and then depend upon your business model may it's recurring revenue well that begins to multiply quickly over mm-hmm. that period of time so so I really I always try to make sure that I've done some good financial mm-hmm. models and then I share that with a salesperson saying mm-hmm. this is this is the reason what we're going to make the investment in you because we're aiming for this and then include that into the retreat discussions and then making sure everyone has the buy-in so this when you're is Bootstrappers. Oh, Sorry ahead. about that, honey. Go ahead. Uh, this is Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is Gwen. This is Brian. And we're having a discussion, uh, by and large, about sales. And so I was just going to ask you, when you're managing salespeople, do you mostly manage the pipeline and not the individual nuances of how they make the sale or make the relationship? So do you manage, like, how many cold calls have you made this week uh, how, and how many... Uh, meetings did you have and then how many things are selling do you manage the pipeline like that uh well so i came i started my uh, before entrepreneur 
um, route, um, I started as a salesperson for MCI Communications out of college. Oh, yeah. So they were all about training you how to sell long distance. I sold it door to door in small communities. Oh, wow. I mean, I, wow. yeah. Yeah, talking about um, that was yeah. an education. It was pure technology, commi- then. pure commission. So there was no looking back. So it was kind of like my first taste of entrepreneurism. Yeah, yeah, there was no thing. safety net. I was on the wire with no, no, no uh, uh, nothing to fall towards. It's kind of becoming off. a theme with our guests. There's a disproportionate number of the, our guests that uh, started off with 100% commission jobs. Yeah. Oh, I, I well, 100%. If you want to hire a great salesperson, they've had to do straight commission. Mm-hmm. If they've if they've operated with a safety net, they're wired differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. I mean, because if you have to go, if you say go build that snowman, and they're like, hmm, you know what, I can. Uh, doesn't matter. I'll get a starter kit here, whatever. I mean, um, they got to be able to um, stick it out. Um, and and really stick through it. So, so straight commission is a great great indicator of whether or not somebody is going to be a great salesperson. Not necessarily the best way to pay them. If we're going off what you said earlier, but the best, but a very good um, indicator of what the future holds for you in terms of having yeah. the right salesperson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have somebody walks your door and says, "Listen, I um, ideally if they say I want your straight commission job." Don't give me a base. I want to be. If you win, I want to win with you, and so we're both unaligned. That's the best partnership you can have in terms of that will almost always win out in the end because both both parties, the owner and the uh, salesperson, are aligned. So you can be success oriented and money oriented, but you have to at least be success oriented. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, out of success, you'll have the money, right. and then you'll find the fact is that you end up selling or growing your business not for money. You're doing it just because. Well, what else am I going to do? So I want to go back to the pipeline, though. So when you were working at MCI, were they obsessed with the Oh, yes. I'm my apology. I didn't, I didn't get finished no, no. that. So, yes, we, we were supposed to make 24 calls a day, six presentations, led to two sales. And I'm like, that's too much freaking work. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I, I, I went to a local town. I would sit down and build a pipeline like this. I'd read the local newspaper, and then I would ask someone for a referral, and I would make sure I knew something like the Johnson's Barn burned down last week. So I had a topic, right? So uh, out And you're doing that, this at a coffee shop. I'm doing a coffee shop. I just pull into some small town in Iowa, whatever. Never been in that town in my life. And then I would go to the chamber and or the business development or uh, whatever they, they, they uh, called um, the JC group or whatever, and um, connect with someone there, spend a lot of time getting to know them because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And then I would drop the fact that I've done some research on the town. I understand this, 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 this is what I heard. And then conversations that, you know, and then at some point they're wondering, what are you here for? (laughs) Right. So what I am doing is building the credibility and the relationship in a way that I can easily um, earn their trust to give me referrals to send me to, to success. So my model was six presentations a day, six calls, six presentations and five sales. Wow, that's, so, imp- and, and that's it impressive. It worked. I mean, I was the top salesman in the country if I was to my own horn here. Well, and, yeah, uh, I do. Uh, um, in two months. Wow. And you so just, what, by what? not listening to them, by not listening to what they told well, you that's to what do. I was but that's the reason why I, I tend to believe that the art of sales is really individualistic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's... Well, you're from a small own. town. I mean, is that how you took the insight uh, for that position of working in a small town and just be like... I, Someone yeah, comes you knocking your on your customer. door, you're like, what the hell are you doing here? Usually, 
like on the farm, when we were coming up to my grandparents, if you were going to be there, you just walked in. You did, there, mm-hmm. If you were knocking, then you were a stranger yeah, or you were right, a hunter right. looking for yeah, yeah. land to hunt on, something like that. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. In your case, yeah, how yeah. did you come up with that? Well, uh, um, what, what? The model, that model of well, sitting uh, in a coffee shop. Probably because I was lazy. I didn't want to work that hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing everyone has in common. <laughs> No, I mean it. it uh, I think that's it. Is is uh, focus on the relationships. Mm-hmm. Do what um, what's a win for the person, and you'll never lose. I love it so much. All right, up next, I've got to ask Brian. Um, in my experience with sales is that there's usually some awkward dynamic with operations, and maybe we can get a little mm-hmm. bit of insight into how that um, can be avoided. That's next. Do you suffer from cold sweats, pervasive eye rolling, spontaneous cursing, or sleepless nights from managing your rental properties? Have your weekends seem to simply vanish? You may be suffering from rentatitis. Other symptoms of rentatitis include incessant worry about losing your livelihood due to disparate impact or fair housing. If you suffer from these or countless other symptoms related to your rental properties, Wistar Group can help. Wistar Group's trained professionals, use of cutting-edge technology, and knowledge of the industry can make your rental properties a passive investment, not a job. If rentatitis is ruining your life, visit wistargroup.com today and set up a free consultation. With Wistar Group, all your rentatitis symptoms can simply disappear. Thanks for joining us here on Bootstrappers uh, 1290 Coil Radio and our podcast. I, uh, the, uh, the bootstrappers were a show talking to entrepreneurs, trying to pick their brains and learn from all their mistakes. And I am Jeremy Aspen, an entrepreneur myself. And successes. Myself. <laughs> and successes. <laughs> although there might be an argument, learning more about failures could get us right. more success. When leaves you last. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a leading indicator. Failure is a leading indicator of success. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm Jeremy Aspen, along uh, with my wife here. My spouse, it's PC, I got it, uh, Gwen Aspen, and we're here with um, Brian Gubbles. He's the president of Data Shield Corporation here in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for being with us again. And um, we were just talking about the, I, I think, when I was in international supply chain again, a company called Bax Global, I learned quickly that there's this weird dynamic between operations and sales. Sales is out there making promises and operations is failing to get there. Um, to the point where one time I had a saleswoman and, a, and an operations woman in charge of imports and they were butting heads pretty badly. It got to the point where I called them into my office and I told them, I actually don't care which of you is fired today, but one of you won't be here. Get out of my office. Um, and you know, within about three hours, I am not kidding you, they became best friends and I kept them both. Uh, but I use, that story just highlights the fact that it can get out of control. And the way I handled it, I don't know that I would do it again that way. It did happen to work, but it was another country, it was another time. But do you find that dynamic in, well, in any of the companies you've bootstrapped? Um, yes. Um, that certainly can happen. And uh, so if we're going to focus on what makes salespeople successful, 
Um, I'm going to go back to that model I was talking about earlier, like Jeremy Aspen Incorporated. Look at yourself as your own corporation. What makes a company successful? It is the discretional effort of all stakeholders involved in that company's success. The discretional effort of all the stakeholders involved. In, involved, yes. Okay. I so, like that. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, your ability to make more money than anybody else as a result of earning discretional effort. For in other words, um, if operations, I'll, I'll go to Data Shield for example. Um, if a salesperson at Data Shield wants to be the, the most successful, they will have engaged the um, service techs in a way um, towards their goal, um, in a way that uh, they're in, that they'll want to promote the salesperson, right? So how do you do that? Well, make sure that you have, the salesperson has developed a relationship with the service tech um, in a way that they have their back in making sure that that, that customer, when they bring on a new customer, uh, is a great testimonial. So, so make it a win-win. If you can figure out, um, and and both of them will quickly understand if they both are engaged in the, in in profit sharing. It's another big thing. I mean, profit sharing throughout the company to make sure that everyone's aligned and everyone benefits when the company or the salesperson wins. That's the trick. That's what you got. Yeah, you got to make it. So that's and what, that's I mean, where that, retreats that's, that's and everything come in too, right? So yeah. you can all make sure that you're on the same page. You all learn a little bit about each other. You yep. all care about each other yep. a little bit. Yep, yeah, because the individual flavor of every company is not just the vision of the owner. It is the reflection of everyone's input that's that that are stakeholders in that company. This is Bootstrappers. I'm Jeremy. This is Gwen Aspen. We're married, and we're here with Brian Goobles, president of um, Data Shield Corporation. And uh, anyway, so we're talking about sales. So how do you coach salespeople once you have them to keep them fresh and keep them good? Or if someone's falling short, what, what are your typical coaching methodologies? Well, um, I would start every coaching opportunity. And that, that's the way I look at them is that uh, there's no, yes, you should have a structured one-on-one -on -one time. But, but make sure every opportunity is a coaching opportunity. And... And then the first thing is start with showing that you, again, care about them because what coach do you really want to listen to yeah. if they don't, if, if they all they care about is their success, you really got to be more concerned about their success and, and understand that is, is it the money driving them? Is that the reason why um, that they're there? Or is it the fact is that um, they really want to demonstrate to um, you know, their brothers that all went to college and they didn't and they really wanted to show that, hey, listen, they can be at a certain spot um, without without going down that path. Whatever it might it is, but really know their dream, know their story, and in a way that you are now focused on how to get them there. If you if you do it that way, um, now you've got the ears open because talking without ears open is just wasted time right so yes. anyway that, figuring that's out why bit. brian is known for developing relationships well yeah, it sounds like it's core it's, it sounds it's, like yeah a core thing for you is everybody whether you're a client or an employee you're focused on getting to know people asking them a lot of questions getting buy-in from them that you care and then you build from that is that just a foundational thing for you in business 
Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I business or just personally. I mean, I found the fact is that I, I mean, I love asking questions because when you know someone, and then you can help someone. I mean, right there, that was a that was a great day. Mm-hmm. You know, so. So when what what about when a salesperson is not doing well, um, and you're worried about their success at Perfect. your company? How do you handle those? When when do you decide to get worried? Because obviously there's a learning curve, and mm, yeah. how, how do you know? Wow, this is really not going, and I'm throwing money at this, and it's yeah. it's not gonna. This isn't gonna succeed. And then, do you believe that you can coach them to make them better? Or how do you handle it? Sure, um, great question. And uh, Harvard Business Review just had a great article on this. And, ah, another HBR reader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's no, uh, that's one of the good publications but um um it shouldn't be a surprise right i mean you should know it's coming i mean like if you hear a train coming down the track and you're about to get hit by the train you can usually hear the train coming Mm -hmm. right so so don't uh, keep your ear to the pavement or keep the ear to the rail and be listening and 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 then assessing constantly and um, check in with someone every single day and you'll know where their head's at are they on track for success and uh, if they're not, have that discussion then. And then, if let's say it's not a fit, and you know what, it happens often because again, you're you're really trying to find the right individual, right? Um, that has the that can, can, can grab your vision. So, um, for their sake, and this is the way you start. For their sake, help them find something else. I start every recruitment job is like listen if this is not the right company for you don't worry about it i'm more more worried about uh, you know the brian and jeremy relationship than i am that you with the brian or the jeremy data shield relationship mm. so if you come in from that angle listen i'm gonna i'm gonna if, if it's not here then tell me and we'll we'll have a transition period let's take a couple months and we'll figure out a way to get you into the right job See, I kind of think I operate that way too. I don't always necessarily act as an agent of the company. I have a hard time, especially firing people, um, just because of that personal relationship. It's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. Yeah. Um, to have to pull off. The yeah, and as long as you don't look at firing as the fact is that you're right. Uh, um, it's not you're not cutting their pay if you're helping them find something better that they're going to be able to do right? much better. Right. Yeah. Um, although, so when you have a sales team. There is, uh, they have the relationship with the client. Now, sometimes in business, and we all know this, we have to fire clients. So, yeah. How does that change that dynamic? I mean, you've got this other person that's bringing on business successfully, and they've just happened to bring on a wrong client. Have you ever had an experience like that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. I, One customer can, um, yes, uh, can can be the work of. 25 of them. I bet, that's, I bet that number's not too far off. <laughs> but, how, but the sales guy, the poor sales guy, do you have to get their buy-in before you let the client go? Because that's the relationship. They're bringing them on. Well, okay, so again, I'm always a big believer in making sure everyone's a stakeholder in any decision. So the sales team, the production team, everyone's a stakeholder in keeping that customer or not to keep that customer. And if everybody looks at the fact that um, they measure their inputs into that customer, versus they're out mm. what's mm. like all right and it's an easy decision yeah. yeah yeah 
Right. So yeah, they, and because some people, some customers are just wired never to be happy, no matter what you Yeah, do. no kidding. <laughs> no and you can't fix that. And you almost want to tell your competitor, like, oh, dude, just, I'll tell you what, do not take this client on because they are a dick. Yeah. Or whatever the reason might be. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, this, uh, this is Bootstrappers. That is a wrap for this show. Um, my name is Jeremy. This is Gwen Aspen. We're here with Brian Goobles again, uh, Data Shield. Thanks a million for coming in. Yeah, really thank you so much. I talk with you guys. Um, and we look forward to seeing you and listening to you next week on Bootstrappers. We get to sit with another entrepreneur and pick their brains. Bootstrappers is an Anaquim LLC production. Anaquim helps property managers with all their office labor needs with high quality remote labor from Mexico. Visit www.aneqim.net today to see how we can make your property management company more profitable. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand what makes the world turn. Contact Gwen or Jeremy Aspen at hosts at bootstrapper.club. Join us next time on News Talk 1290 KOIL at our website or download the podcast.